you're a young, nervous civilization about to send out its first deep space probe, you want to make sure whoever finds it is going to want to be your friend. And the best way to do that is to send a mixtape. Earth's Mixtape is the podcast where we dive into the contents of the Voyager Golden Record. One song at a time, one picture at a time, one whale song at a time. Welcome back to Earth's Mixtape. This is the podcast where we review the contents of the Voyager Golden Record. I'm Mike Dunlavy, and with me as always is... Roby Austin. And... Hannah Ayler. This episode, we'll be talking about music selections from Japan and Germany, as well as photos relating to human reproduction from the Golden Record Photo Archive. So let's begin. So we're going to start today with track nine from the music of Earth. Track nine is called Cranes in Their Nest, performed by Koro Yamaguchi. It runs four minutes and 51 seconds, and it is from the nation of Japan. And it's exquisite, in my opinion. It's very nice. It is a pleasant, peaceful piece. And it seems to me as though it's a piece that is not programmatic, but sounds like birds. And maybe they could have done a little bit more choosing programmatic music sounds because I know they have the Sounds of Earth section later on. Can you define what you that term you're using? Oh, it is music that it sounds like it's a, it's a portrait of other sounds. So like a, a Chopin piece that's supposed to sound like a fountain or raindrops or something. Very like Chopin pieces that are supposed to sound like raindrops or Vivaldi pieces that are supposed to sound like cold. I mean, it doesn't have to be as pictographic as all that. This, I thought, was was reminiscent of birds and also very obviously not the sound that birds make. It's music. Yeah, and... uh I mean, from the title, you can you can probably tell the the subject of the piece was meant to uh, show the affection cranes have for their offspring in their nest. It, it was meant to be the sound of mothers talking to their little babies. Oh, that's... it actually goes through like the whole life cycle. Um, it starts with the cranes building the nest, and then laying the eggs, uh, rearing the young, and then as they reach maturity, they fly away, and the parents leap lead the rest of their lives in their nest alone. Um, and apparently all of these phases of the bird life cycle are depicted in the song. This particular piece was collected in the 18th century by a Buddhist priest or a Zen priest named Kinko Kurosawa, who traveled around almost doing an Alan Lomax type thing. He was traveling around Japan in the Edo period collecting pieces for this instrument that this is recorded on, which is a shakuhachi, which we can talk more about in a bit. Oh, yes. Um, But he made a collection of 36 of these pieces, which are considered a canonical collection of music of the period. That's very interesting. So tell me more about the instrument. Well, here's what I have. A shakuhachi is a Japanese end-blown flute, traditionally made of bamboo, but uh, can also be made from hardwoods, and even today you can get them made out of plastic. It has finger holes and one thumb hole, but no mouthpiece. So it kind of looks like a recorder, but you blow it like a flute. You blow across the top of it, not into it. Very like you cool. play a flute. And it looks pretty simple, like, oh, it just looks like a recorder. It must be so easy to play. But after looking more um, into it, 
there's a lot you can do with it. It allows for a lot of subtle changes in pitch and tone of the music that you're playing by partially covering the finger holes or by blowing at different angles. So whereas recorders, you can only just blow one angle. Uh, this one, you can do vary that a lot. So it's actually pretty complex. That's and I was cool. deceived. <laughs> wait, what do you mean deceived? I thought it was simple. super simple. Oh, it's uh, a recorder. I can play that. Uh, wait a second. Nope. This is tricky. But it sounds great. It also sounds like I probably couldn't build my own recorder, but maybe I could build my own uh, this kind of instrument whose name I'm Shakuhachi. Thank you. Yeah, I think that was, I think, especially in the 18th century and earlier, that they would um, they would produce their own. They would go take a piece of bamboo and make their own shakuhachi from it. The name shakuhachi oh, this is good. basically mm-hmm. refers to its length. A shaku is an archaic unit of length equal to 30.3 centimeters, so basically a foot. And hachi means eight, which basically in this context means eight-tenths of a shaku. So a shaku hachi is one shaku eight, or about 55 centimeters long. Oh, it's huge. <laughs> And that length wasn't mandated. Like that is the traditional length of a shakuhachi, but you can get them in different lengths. Oh, so a little per- somebody who is, say, just learning the shakuhachi and is a small child yeah. and shorter than fifty-five centimeters doesn't have to be like alpenhorning. Maybe just has a hachi. <laughs> ah. <laughs> and one fact I think I pulled out of Murmurs of Earth was that the a lot of the people who carried these were the monks, and a lot some of these monks were actually former samurai. This is definitely a period in Japan where the, the shogunate and the samurais were wandering about. If you were a former samurai, whether you had quit or whether you were disgraced, you were no longer allowed to carry a sword or a weapon. And the shakuhachi would be a... A 55-centimeter long of, stick? ...kind of cudgel that, that <laughs> might provide a little bit of defense when you're out uh, roaming the byways. And you met somebody who you'd been unkind to in the past. <laughs> and I had found one reference, I think, in Murmurs of Earth that Kinko Kurosawa, the fellow who collected this, in this all this music, was an ex-samurai himself. Hmm. Um, but I couldn't actually find corroborating evidence for that. Do we know anything more about the recording? Do we know who the instrument player is on yeah, this occasion? Uh, yep, yeah, it's Koro Yamaguchi. Thank you. And there's one line in Murmurs of Earth that I felt a need to pass on, which is, quote, Some listeners find the flute's bird-like cry appropriate to Voyager's lonely flight through space, unquote. Wow. I kind of understand how you would anthropomorphize the thing that you spent a gazillion years putting together and trying to get launched and so forth. But it seems a little sad to go through all the trouble of putting together something that you are deliberately intending to send into deep space, anthropomorphize it, and then think about how sad and lonely it is. (laughs) It's kind of a natural reaction, though, isn't it? But it's got all these sweet tunes to listen to while it travels. That's right. Now, oh, how does this score on the, uh, you're walking through an alien spaceship oh, yeah. and you hear it echoing oh. in the hallways? That would be kind of calming, I think. It's either it would be very calming or very creepy because you have this solo this flute solo flute echoing. So it would depend on what sort of environment on the alien ship you wake up so. in. If you w- woke if up you, in a cell, creepy. If, if you, you woke, woke up, up in a hospital and this is like soothing yeah. bed Or in the music. artificially natural environment and there's you know, like... I don't know. Oh, and you're, you're, you're looking around Edo, Japan, and you're just seeing uh, temples. Oh, and, like in uh, their holodeck. Yeah, 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 yeah. So one last thing that I would like to mention about this track is that, it, as I said, it runs 4 minutes 51 seconds, 
which makes it very long a very long I piece. I think they cut it from the original length of the piece, though, because from my research... Well, it does take a long time to build a nest. The fledglings don't depart until after the seven-minute mark, and oh. there is no seven-minute mark in this track. There is no seven-minute mark, but this is almost five minutes out of the 90 total. This is a large contribution. True. This is the only Japanese music, though, right? I believe so. Well, thank you uh, to the people of 1977 for introducing me to this. It's it's not going to make it into regular rotation in my playlist the way that El Cascabar did, but I think uh, I I think I would like to hear it again. Or oh. or others from the genre of music, which is called Honkyoku. El Cascabel, isn't it? It is. Fun fact: the Shakuhachi was featured in the Jurassic Park score as well as the Braveheart score. In any number of Japanese films. Yes, many. I omitted those because (laughs) (laughs) there were so many. Okay, now we're going to dive into this week's collection of photos. This week we're going to talk about photos 26 through 34 which we've categorized as covering the topic of human reproduction. I thought it was baby making. Yeah, on the board it says baby making. Okay. <laughs> baby making. Picture number 26 is titled Diagram of Human Sex Organs. It is taken from a textbook, Life, Cells, Organisms, Populations by E.O. Wilson, copyright Sinauer Associates. Uh, that was also the source of pick 25 from last episode. Uh, Hannah, would you like to talk about what's in uh, picture 26? Not really. I think you can put it together from the title, but uh, we have two images. On the top, we have the male reproductive system, and on the bottom, we have the female reproductive and system. And it's a drawing. And it's thereof. a drawing. Yes, yes, yes. That is probably an important thing a to mention. A drawing by Sandra Landry. Also. And it's a half, it's a it's a section. So It's, it's like a cross section, yeah. yeah. Through the center. Of, There's the, a, of, of the genitalia. And There's, the reproductive organs are darkly colored, so they stand out from the rest of the body pieces in that area. And they're labeled. They are labeled, which I don't understand why. I think they probably took it from a textbook, and there are very few textbooks that would have this diagram without labels. Didn't they erase it on previous ones? They though? tried to erase it on the on the on the anatomy photos where they had uh, Linda Sagan oh, yeah. try to paint it off, and that didn't work. So, so I, they just so gave up. I think they just gave up. Okay. Um, there's also the classical symbols of for male female which come back in future photos. And in the previous picture last week, there was a male and female picture. Yeah. Or there was a Mars and Venus symbol. Yeah. And there's a length scale uh, for the female diagram. Of 12 centimeters. But not for the men, because sometimes get, dudes get a little sort of sensitive about <laughs> the length scale of some of those objects. Yes. Here's one comment I have. I mean, I have all sorts of comments, but here's the one comment I'm going to make on mic. Uh, the diagrams, uh, the, not the diagram, the diagram labels just made the point that you probably can't get a picture without those labels. But the pointers are disturbing because it kind of looks like an acupuncture diagram. Yeah, yeah, that was my concern as well. So they have words and they have arrows pointing to the things. So it looks like there's a whole bunch of, like they've been impaled by a lot of things. So let's talk about the threat to humanity scale from this photo <laughs> on that notion. I think this is quite high. But how hard would it be to, like, okay, maybe they didn't have diagrams with this not labeled, but it's not going to take that long to just trace this and leave the labels out. 
could have been copyright issues at that. But no, they do that all the time. They take they, they do those silhouettes all the time with that. Yeah, I uh, I yeah, don't know about that. I agree. Yeah, that that text means absolutely nothing. Will never mean anything to anybody. You can't even really make it out and under this resolution. To, and you'd never be able to read it on the, on the mm-hmm. record resolution. That's right. Uh, Roby, you got anything to add? You can see why it was included. You can't talk about humanity without talking about how humanity reproduces itself, and they got into trouble for having details on the previous outer space sending, whatever they were. Pioneer, Pioneer, thank you. Why are we, So, again, it's artificial to think of these pictures as being in, in a certain order. We, we made this point before. Yeah. Um, but just in our own human organization of, of this, why start with, like, we, I guess there was the anatomy pictures, and now we're getting right into many slides about human reproduction. But why not blood system, which probably, circulatory system, nervous system, we brain. We don't even get into that at all, though, I do don't we? think we get into that at all. We spend a lot of time talking about reproduction. And I'm curious as to why they chose to spend, you know, almost eight, nine pictures on this one topic. Well, it's, without it, we wouldn't have a species. So I think it's pretty fundamental. Sure. Also true of our circulatory system, though. <laughs> good point. Good point. Yeah, I, I suspect it's more to do with, if I may invent a new disease, 12-year-old boy syndrome, I think. <laughs> I don't think you invented that. If you did, we should probably talk about it. <laughs> if I can invent the name of a new disease, thank you for pointing out the distinction. <laughs> I can see why you wouldn't want to call it Austin syndrome. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I think it's fascinating as a topic. I think people assume that baby making is a fascinating topic to everybody because it is a fascinating topic to us, whether or not we're 12 or older. It's just that there tends to be a little bit more overt fascination at 12. Anyway, the point is that it is fascinating and also it took like a while to figure out. People knew that blood was important. It took them a while to figure out about brains too. But, you know, the ancients, the ancients had worked out that blood was kind of necessary and, you know, if, when you let all the blood run out, the, that person was no longer a person. But it takes a long time to figure out the relationship between making babies and the actual emergence of a baby. Right. It's complicated stuff. It's true. And so now we're going to go from this diagram of uh, genitalia and go skip a step and go straight to <laughs> the next two photos. Uh, we haven't skipped a photo. We're just skipping a step like they did. Picture 27 and 28, uh, conception with silhouette. Silhouette diagram by John Lomberg. Photo by Swedish physician photographer Lennart Nilsson, who is famous for taking many pictures of human prenatal development. Uh, and so the, the photo of the egg, the sperm approaching the egg, is from his book, A Child is Born, copyright 1956. So what we're seeing is a close-up photo of sperm approaching the egg uh, as a photo, and then also as a sil- simpler silhouette diagram. And the diagram has a scale length on it, as well as a time length. However... It says zero seconds. What the heck? Yeah. And I am very mad about this. First of all, because in our um, photos from way back when we were setting up our math systems and how numbers work. We never introduced zero. There was no zero. Oh, my God, Hannah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) another fact I have is that 
for the for these images, uh, Lomberg actually moved the sperm to be touching the egg to justify the zero second timeline. In the photo, the sperm is further away, which would be like minus two seconds. This is meant to be a time from conception. Oh, is that what it's meant to oh. be? Yes. So, so I thought it was like the time. Yeah, that's no, another no, no, duration. No, okay. no, 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 no. Yes. He's okay. Setting well, our zero mark. As he's setting here, the zero mark, and, and, then and the next, slides. the ensuing photos, which show the progression of embryonic development, has further timescales added to it. Okay. Uh, I have a complaint. I have a. I have a. I have a shrill feminist complaint about this, which is that it's blown up so large that the egg is not actually all in the picture. And that seems ridiculous to me because you could probably, I know the sperm are small, but for crying out loud, you could have them both in the picture. <laughs> well, I, can, I can have a mansplaining devil's advocacy. Oh, thanks. Do, do. As long as I'm being shrill. I think in the 1960s, a photo like this would be incredibly difficult. It is true. And I suspect that this might be just one of the best Leonard could get. It's true that before the days of... He, he didn't necessarily have full option on how he was framing things. Yeah. Although they don't have to be human either, so I guess for the relative scale, there's probably not and that the, many other species. The, and for the ensuing sequence. Sure, sure. At for the conception, ensuing... she's a frog when she's birthed a human. <laughs> but although it's not, in, I mean, okay, okay, you're in her fish and all that, but we do, it's hard to tell the difference between a frog embryo sure. at three days and a human embryo at three days. Yeah, so, so this time scale and length scale are going to continue over the next few photos. For instance, in the next photo, photo 29, titled Fertilized Ovum, which is another picture from Leonard Nilsson's book, uh, shows the fertilized egg both at one second and at 43,200 seconds, where it's already started to divide. And that's quite a nice pair of pictures, the, I agree. the division. Mm -hmm. I do have a question about the previous picture, which only makes sense if it's in color. It's not as beautiful as a Jackson Pollock painting, but it is at least, it, it, well, anyway, it's a whole lot of splatters on it. It's not clear that it's the same thing as picture 27. It's not clear. I can't speak to what resolution it would appear, like you're looking at my printout, which may not necessarily... Yeah, but it made more sense in color. Yeah. Right. But it, it certainly wasn't sent in color. It was sent in black and white. Exactly. Kind of looks like a sun to me, like it a does, stellar atmosphere. It? Yeah. Okay. But moving on. Moving <laughs> on Sorry. to photos 31 and 30, uh, titled Fetus and Silhouette. Uh, which shows silhouettes of fetuses at different points of their um, development. One at 3,456,000 seconds and one at 5,184,000 seconds. I will point out we've established the day time scale in the previous also, photos. Also, scientific notation, we're assuming they already know that because we established that, but no, let's just write out a bunch of zeros. So picture 30 shows those silhouettes with the time scale and length scale, and picture 31 is a another photo of uh, an actual fetus, I believe, at the five centimeter, so the, the second of the two in the silhouettes. Those time scales, by the way, correspond to four days and 60 days. Oh, so this is interesting. The, the label on the photo, as shown in Murmurs of Earth, said that the fetus photo was by James Kendrick from George Washington University, the George Washington University collection. Under the photo in the description in Murmurs of Earth, it says the photo is by Dr. Frank Allen. That's of, what the NASA website says as okay. well. So James Kendrick's contribution to this is, was thought to have been acknowledged at one point, uh, so his contribution is unknown. 
it's this is not an intellectual comment by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, you know, fetuses kind of look like people's depictions of aliens from That's olden days. That's what I was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for backing me up here, Hannah. <laughs> the, the, those silhouettes look like the, they look the, extraterrestrial. The, the, the classic little gray alien. Yeah. 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 Is particularly fetal looking. Yeah. And there's that there's that final shot of 2001: A Space Odyssey, where there's just a giant fetus floating in space. Mm-hmm. So the aliens might see this picture of the fetus and think, "Oh, they have one of our people captive. Hey. We have to go rescue it." Oh my God, they've and eaten then her. Or that yeah. threat to humanity. I think it's pretty high on right. this I think one. It's pretty high too. Yeah. I, I don't like looking at fetuses. It's not what I do in my spare time. <laughs> All right, so let's move on from Hannah's spare time and talk about <laughs> picture 32 also <laughs> titled Silhouette of Male and Female Diagram by John Lomberg and Ho Nelly let's talk about this photo okay so this one I think originally they were going this is a, a silhouette as you just said yeah. and they were originally going to put in a actual photograph of what the silhouette is a silhouette of uh, male and female, but because of the controversy over the pioneer plaque where they had naked people on it, and the government was like, "Oh no!" Just naked drawings too. Oh, oh, yeah. So this this I would be an actual like what they wanted to include here was, was an actual photo. photo. Yeah. Have we mentioned that the woman's pregnant? Because the woman's pregnant in this. We'll get there. Uh, oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're <laughs> going to get there. Please, Hannah, continue. So, because of the controversy over the over the pioneer plaque. Um, they opted to not put the photo on and just have the silhouette, which... Okay, yeah, so the woman's pregnant, but this is a silhouette, so their bodies are all just dark. However, where the fetus is... Yeah, so in the, in the silhouette creepy. of the woman, they... they there's they, a hole. They, there's a the, hole with a, where you can see through silhouetted. her, and then there's the silhouette of the fetus. So this is the first... <laughs> I mean, talking about order of photos, so, so on and so forth, this is the first photo of human adults. That seems weird, I feel. It's it's weird. Um, according to this photo, women are always pregnant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> according to this photo, they don't get pregnant until they're twenty years old, which mm-hmm. would be great for high schools everywhere if it were actually true. <laughs> according to this photo, men are one hundred and sixty centimeters tall and women are one hundred and fifty-five centimeters tall. So I did some research on average heights around the world, and that doesn't even check out. Okay. Did it check out in nineteen seventy? No. But let's 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 <laughs> let's get into this. Uh, we talk a lot about Murmurs of Earth on this podcast. It's one of our principal sources uh, for research. In Murmurs of Earth, the, if this convinces you to go check out a copy, please do so. They have the photo they wanted to include. So this, the, the photo that these silhouettes were based on. I am now about to show Roby Austin <laughs> this photo for the first time. So uh, what you're going to hear, listeners, is Roby's <laughs> actual reaction Uh-oh. to seeing this photo. Oh, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Why... Why are they so dark? <laughs> Why is it lit? Well, that's 70s lighting. <laughs> Mood lighting. That's so, I mean. It's a lot to take in all at once. <laughs> it's not, folks. <laughs> it is not a lot to take in all at once. <laughs> it, is, it is simply a pregnant lady and a dude. They are holding hands. She's visibly pregnant in the picture, which, because it's sort of three quarters front, like she's slightly angled from her front, so you can see that her belly is a pregnant one. But in the silhouette, that is harder to make work in your head. Like it really does does just look like she's got a hole in her belly, and they've dangled a fetus from it. It's it, yeah. yeah. Also, their arms overlap, so they look like 
oh, they yeah, have three arms between them. Whereas and in the photo, you connected. can in the photo you can clearly see they're holding hands. Yeah, I think this is just very confusing to only have the silhouette. Now, here's a line from Armors of Earth when they talked about this photo. They said they want they wanted to include photo. They wanted to include some representation of unclothed humans, and they quote wanted to be neither sexist, pornographic, nor clinical. I understand the first two. I mm-hmm. don't understand why they would avoid clinical. I, I see that they have achieved that. Yeah, but if they could do Which with a little amazing. bit more. They could do with a little bit more uh, clinical. Like, why not just people in Vitruvian Man pose? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got, like, cross-sections of what look like flayed bodies, but we can't just have, you know, a picture of a person. This is what happens when the 1970s teaches aliens about sex. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. It's weird. It's not. It's certainly not educational, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that picture, if you, if you showed that picture to human children as a, an attempt to teach them about baby-making you would have way too many babies having babies. Or serial killers. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> I, think, I think those are outcomes that we can all agree are negative. Anyway, we could talk about this photo for easily another half an hour. But, but there's two more. But there's two more. <laughs> Picture 33 is titled oh. Birth. Photo by Wayne Miller from Magnum Photos which shows a masked, bespeckled man holding a baby by its one leg from, I'm guessing, the mother's POV as it's born. This is... If I never have kids, this picture is the reason why. <laughs> okay, we will add that to the show notes. <laughs> this is the most unpleasant image so far, in my opinion. So uh, I'm just going to read my notes. Birth requires masked men. Mm. Why include this photo? Why? Why? It's from a famous collection of photos called The Family of Man. Who's the mom? Who cares? Uh, and this is actually, a, the, the following is actually a fun fact. This photo is by Wayne Miller. The baby is Wayne Miller's son being born. So when the Golden Record folks called Wayne Miller to get permission, they actually, when they called the house, they got the son who took the message and was super excited to find out that his first baby picture was going to be included on the golden record. And the doctor, Wayne Miller's father. Oh, for heaven's Whoa. sakes. Really is a family of man. It's, yeah, it's yeah. the family of and, man. And, and so man. far I have no idea what <laughs> Mrs. Miller... Well, I, the, like, she's just, she's A, not in the picture, literally or figuratively. You can see part of her leg. Why, why are they not showing this from the other angle? Like, why, not, why isn't this being shown from the actual opposite angle? Because it's the family of man. Yeah, and let's also accept the hypothesis that that would traumatize Helena even more. <laughs> but <laughs> setting aside. So future generations of Ailers. <laughs> Depend on them not having included an actual birth picture. <laughs> but, but no, yeah. No. Masked man. <laughs> but the, yeah, the, the, the masked man Extracting holding the, the, limp, the limp baby. In the West, attitudes towards birth have changed, and they do change on a shorter scale than in some... But it's strongly cultural. This is the thing that drives me crazy. All of this is strongly cultural. This 20 years nonsense is strongly yeah. con- uh, cultural. Yeah. And this, this picture of a masked man pulling the baby out because the lady is out cold, that's strongly cultural. Yeah. And even the woman uh, so, in yeah, the next why picture. Not, why, not show yeah. na- why not show natural childbirth? 
why not show natural childbirth? Why not sh- draw another diagram? I, so because we've already had the sex organs, we could show like that one of those is where the baby comes out of, right? Yeah. Like that's yeah. there's a lot more you could have done better with this. But yeah, so here's my ignorant theory about why the masked man has to be there. A lot of these photos are about showing off as these golden record producers would like to show off. One of which is, we are people of science. Here is a science man performing a modern medical... Wow. Like, look, look how modern we are in our birth production. Birth production? <laughs> sure. He's, he's holding it, it is a baby production. by the leg. <laughs> it's still 1977, Hannah. <laughs> anyway... Moving on to our final photo, photo 34, the only one of these that was encoded in color on the record, titled Nursing Mother, listed as copyright from the United Nations, and it shows a woman in the Philippines nursing uh, an infant. For which she would get asked to leave a restaurant in many (laughs) Western countries, but not mine, Dagnabbit, and I'm proud of that. And, And so far... And I don't think in any of these photos we have an explanation that we take our nutrition orally. Mm-hmm. So, for all we know, the baby's a cannibal. So, well, yeah. Well, this, we don't even know that the mouth is responsible for getting food in. True. Right? Most of the discussion of this photo in Murmurs of Earth revolves around the fo- the flower pattern of her dress. Are you kidding me? And how they can see that they could probably p- piece that together with future with other photos of flowers included. What? Well, yeah. that's nice. I am glad that they found something to congratulate themselves over. Uh, I'm sure dressed. And oh my god. Okay, so so taken as a whole, how do we feel about these photos? <sighs> do you feel you've learned anything about uh, men's attitudes towards women in 1977? I probably knew that beforehand. I think you probably knew that beforehand. <laughs> And again, devil's advocate, there were women involved in the production of the record. I don't know if whether they were involved in these photos. And I could be equally enraged if they just showed women as baby-making machines, right? Like, it, there, there is... It, it's, it's difficult to please me, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> but I think... I do think that showing birth as being a thing that doctors are responsible for is a little weird. I, I, oh, I'm reining it in. I'm reining it in. This is terrible. But it's true that one of the most beautiful outcomes of scientific advances in the 20th and 21st century is that we have reduced uh, in mortality around birth by a lot. And it continues to be one of the fastest dropping causes of death around the world. And it has something to do with doctors. It also has to do with midwives. And it also has to do with other women around the woman who's pregnant. So it's, it's not necessarily a big male doctor, but yeah. it is a sign of a civilization that knows uh, how to look after its own medically, that we can survive our own childbirth. But anyway, how do we, how do we feel about them as a whole? Well, we wish they'd had more time to think it through. I think that's probably the best way to do it. I, I, I would suspect that if you knew nothing of baby making before seeing these photos, then saw the photos, you'd really, you'd really want to proceed with caution still, I feel. Indeed. So how would you rate that on the threat to humanity? Uh, as a whole, probably 9 out of 10. Certain elements of it, definitely 10 out of 10. The acupuncture picture uh, being the highest. <laughs> being the one that will give Michael nightmares for some time to come. So I watch a lot of sci-fi, and in the, most of the sci-fi shows that I watch, 
the aliens are usually like they're your typical little gray aliens and what's often the case is that they reveal that they have lost the ability to reproduce and that they can only reproduce themselves by cloning themselves. Mars needs women. Right. So I feel like the reason for us sending all of this reproductive information um, may be to, I don't know, uh, tell them how much better we are than them at cloning ourselves. Or at least, yes, reproducing with yeah, variation, yeah. genetic yeah. variation, because we did already show them about genes. Yeah. And we've only gotten better at it since 1977. We have. And in fact, I, my hat's off to the person who took the pictures of the eggs and sperm, because this was years and years and years before the... Lennart Nielsen. Lennart Nielsen. Let's give him props. Years and years before there was IVF. And so how would you... Like, would you have this on a sl- on like a microscope slide and take a picture? I don't of that? think that's possible. I think you would have to get uh, up in there. He endosco- some sort of proto endoscopy. I would assume. Oh, okay. Then that anyway, is impressive. Know. Another another note for Hannah: <laughs> never volunteer for medical experiments. Nope. And on, on behalf of future generations of ailers, let's move on to the next section. <laughs> Thank you. second track of music we're going to talk about today is track 10 titled Gavat en Rondo by composed by Johann Sebastian Bach. It's the third movement from the Partita number no. 3 in E major for violin, BWV 1006, performed by Arthur Grimio, and it runs 2 minutes and 55 seconds. And it's lovely. I don't know what else to say. Yes. It's a it's, it's a, a nice solo violin piece. Yep. I can say a gavotte is a traditional French dance, and that Bach writes this as a round, creating polyphonic voices with the instrument. He's good at that. Going back to a previous... This is our second time talking about a Bach piece. Um, We talked about the previous Bach piece in our first episode. And, Roby, you made a comment then that Bach's manuscripts were beautiful. They sure are. So I took the opportunity to look, find online where they have actually scanned all of Bach's manuscripts. And Which is how I know because I don't, it's not like I was there when he was writing, <laughs> FYI. And you're absolutely right. They're, they're very lovely. He had lovely sort of curly, clean handwriting. Oh, yeah. And, and Curse's gifted soul, he very, very few crossings out. I mean, if you look at a Beethoven manuscript or a Schubert manuscript, it's, it's all, or even Mozart, it's all covered in mistakes. And Bach seems just not to have been into making mistakes. He just <laughs> went from head to page in an amazing way. It is also just one page, though. It's true. So, and I'm a fan. Yeah, and you're a fan. As you said in the previous, notably in the previous episode, you love Bach. I still think that there's plenty of Bach on this recording. I think that choosing three Bach pieces is something that maybe is excessive. I mean, I would have a hard time choosing one, but I don't think that three out of every 27 pieces of music in the world are Bach. One out of every nine. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Do you have, I mean, do you feel this is a worthy choice? Well, I think they're all worthy choices, Michael. (laughs) I I think that a solo violin piece is a good choice because a violin is a nice uh, instrument in terms of geometry. Mm -hmm. So uh, listening to stringed instruments and listening to bowed stringed instruments is different from listening to plucked stringed instruments, but... And it's it's the kind of thing that, assuming the resolution is okay, they could even possibly even the OSPs, the outer space people, could possibly even determine that that's what they're listening to. They're listening to a taut piece of material uh, being made to vibrate in a certain manner. 
That's what it sounds like to me. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, that they would find in an aesthetically pleasing way. Hopefully. Uh, yeah. yeah, if I woke up on a spaceship and I heard this, I would be comforted. I would. It's a pleasant piece. And it's a what piece? A pleasant piece. It's a pleasant it's piece. It's a yeah. nice, calming. Most Bach is to me, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think if you heard this in the corridors of a spaceship, I, I wouldn't be too freaked out. Uh, they make a note in Murmurs of Earth that the gavotte is highly compressed and that there is something satisfying about an artist's making stringent demands upon time, which I think just means they're pleased that they found a short piece to include. Also, they like Bach. And they like Bach, absolutely. We can talk a lot about how Bach wrote music and what rules Bach uh, was writing music within and and how some of those rules are of his own invention and some of those rules were are conventions of his time or conventions of his the western cultural music uh, development but Bach is fun for fun for geeks to listen to there's a lot of lovely numbers stuff and nerdy stuff in Bach absolutely there are books written on this indeed some of which I have read there's there's a famous book that a lot of nerds own and very few have read. Oh, that's right Gödel Escherbach do feel free to call us if you have uh, read it and tell us what oh, yeah. it says about uh, Gödel Escherbach and aliens if if you are one of the few people who have gotten all the way through. And we will test you. (laughs) We will. Thanks for listening to Earth's Mixtape. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Please rate and review us on iTunes, and maybe we will read your name on a future episode. Reviews will help people find out about the podcast, and maybe tell your friends about us. Did we make a mistake or an omission? Heck yeah, we did. Let us know all about it on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Earth's Mixtape. Or email us at earthsmixtape at gmail.com. Earth's Mixtape is produced at St. Mary's University in beautiful Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada.